yeah, like the amount of times somebody asked me what I wanted and I couldn't tell them Mm. in bed. And thinking to myself like, oh, I don't need anything because that was actually what I believed. This is the Wilder Wellness Podcast, where we discuss all things body image, intuitive eating, and the wilder sides of wellness. Here we reject the diet culture messages that have kept us tame and preoccupied so we can finally build trust with our bodies, embrace true well-being, and have the confidence to take on any adventure. I'm your host, Chris Nails, a licensed therapist with a specialty in wilderness therapy. I've spent the last decade dedicating my studies and practice to helping women feel more connected to their bodies, build resiliency, and take up more space on and off of the trail. Tune in each week for new episodes as we chat with wellness professionals, outdoor adventure enthusiasts, and thought leaders that will leave you feeling inspired, connected, and motivated to live a life free from restriction and body shame. You will receive tangible tools, support, and connection as you take your next steps towards creating a wilder life. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get to the show. All right. Today on the Wilder Wellness Podcast, we are welcoming Allie Barnett. She is a sex and intimacy therapist who works with clients out of Jackson, Wyoming and Burlington, Vermont. And she and I are super good friends. (laughs) And we met guiding together like 10 years ago. And I cannot believe that we are doing the work that we're doing. (laughs) in tandem. So welcome to the show, Allie. I'm so excited to have you. I have have chills through my body right now. (laughs) Tell our listeners what you do, what is the work that you bring to the world, and yeah, like what lights you up? Uh, Wow, kills. I'm so excited. So I am, yep, I'm a sex therapist. That's, That's what I do. It also, as I was just catching up with you. I was telling you that um, it feels like my life too. I have been doing so much growth work the last, oh my gosh, I don't know, five years around my sexuality and my sensuality and my body image and my sex, (laughs) my relationships, my intimacy. And so like, you know, I, I really do feel like as a therapist, you, the more you're growing, the, the deeper you can go with your clients. And so, um, I, I started a private practice in August and it's, I'm full. I have a wait list. I'm like loving it. It's so fun. It's me. It's like everything I want to do. And I get to work with amazing people. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I do for work. It's also what I do for fun. <laughs> I also love the outdoors and I think that's how we found each other and that's also what really lights me up is moving my body outside Um, whether it's like snowboarding or mountain biking or any of those fun fun fast sports (laughs) yeah I think like when I think about you Allie I just um, you have been a friend that's always pushed me whether or not it's like signing up to (laughs) go on this like much longer mountain biking (laughs) adventure than I wanted to do, or even like talking about, you know, this topic, like talking about sex and intimacy. Um, This 
is a topic that triggers me so much. Not that I'm not excited about it, but I just notice myself get um, <laughs> giggly and I shut down and I don't know how to talk about it. I, uh, it makes me feel uncomfortable to put it lightly. And so talking to you about this in a public space is really fun. And also like, I'm already anticipating like my giggles and how are we going to like navigate this conversation? <laughs> oh gosh. I'm thinking my brain is going to this book called existential kink. Um, very fun quote that I remember finding in that book. I don't know if it was Caroline Elliott who said it, but fear is excitement without breath. I love that quote. It's like, the edginess of this conversation for you, like, I wonder how much like turn on is in it, right? Like the, the kind of like fear shutdown that you're mentioning, but also like <laughs> the excitement and like the giggling, like it's all, you know, it's all beautiful. Yeah. No. And I'm just thinking that like, you talk about this on a daily basis and like, you said the word like sex and I literally just like clamming <laughs> 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 up. <laughs> So I just am so excited to talk to you. I'm, I, I think it's going to be so fun. <laughs> so Allie, how did you start doing this work? Like, I don't even think I know. <laughs> uh, so I, gosh. So the first thing was a conference in Denver with a woman named Jaya who's a sexologist. And I don't know if you've seen Love, Sex, and Goop on Netflix, uh -huh. but that is in the first couple of episodes. And I went to a whole weekend with weekend immersion with Jaya. Wow. <laughs> um, I, I watched like two episodes of that show, like in secret, like <laughs> with, with the doors closed and even was like, whoa, this is crazy. <laughs> It was, it was amazing and mind blowing and like very confronting for me to realize how much my erotic self was cut off from the rest of me. Um, and so that weekend was really like the beginning of integrating my, <laughs> what they referred to as my erotic persona. We had to dress up one night as our erotic personas and come in and <laughs> So that was, that was one of the first things. And a friend of mine got me into that. She invited me. She told me it was going to be amazing. And I went and it was so fun and so confronting. Um, I also around that time was in a relationship that was really harmful. Yeah. Um, and also at a job in, in wilderness therapy, which I love wilderness therapy. And this job had me giving so much more than I had to give. I wasn't giving to myself at all. I was just giving to the, to the job, to the kids, to the company. And I wasn't in my body. I wasn't in my pleasure. <laughs> I was just, yeah, I was in my mother self or like caretaking role to like in all of the places of my life. And so having this weekend with Jaya that was all focused on my pleasure, I was like, what? <laughs> and then I proceeded to like hire a life coach from there and work with, um, you know, these women who I've talked a lot about Amy and Ellie from Desire on Fire. And that was, that's the journey that I have been on. Um, wow. 
Yeah. I remember talking to you when you were working at that job, you know, and I think I would talk to you as you were in the car, walking out into the field, like crunching through these like leaves in Vermont, <laughs> like constantly, constantly going. And so shout out to you and also anyone else in that work right now, whether it's wilderness therapy or anyone, it's like finding themselves working 24 seven and, and in ways that aren't for them. But yeah, I remember that definitely very vividly. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and then what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, um, broke up with that guy (laughs) and broke up with that job and moved to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which I had, had lived there before um, for, for many years, I, I love Jackson. Jackson is the playground. Talk about pleasure. (laughs) Jackson is like the town of pleasure. (laughs) There's, you know, everyone's playing, everyone's having a good time. Um, and almost like when I got there, it was, it almost felt like it was like too much to have. Like, I was like, am I, is this okay? Like I had so much resistance to allowing myself to have that um, took me like years to, to get back there. Even though when I had originally left, I said, I'm going to go to grad school and then I'm going to come back here. And, you know, six years later, (laughs) I found myself back there, um, and worked at, I was working at a community counseling center, which was awesome. I hadn't really worked in community mental health before. Well, I had, but not in that context of like a community counseling center where you're seeing like all age ranges. I'd been working with adolescents for as long as I could remember. And so working with adults was so fun and so different because they have so much self-responsibility. And so you don't, you know, there's like less worry, I guess. And also like the dynamic of working with parents and families and and children, it's like, it's tough. There's, there's a lot of um, just a lot of responsibility on the therapist to change things whether it's like parents expecting you to fix their kid, which, you know, is such a terrible setup. It's like, that's not what we're doing here. (laughs) You know, the kid is getting away from you so that they can heal (laughs) without the dynamics that are constantly playing out in your house. Um, And like, we expect you to do work too on yourselves, like just this holding everyone accountable and having so much responsibility on the therapist. Um, So moving into community counseling was, you know, people coming to outpatient. I had never worked in outpatient. I'd always worked in crisis work with like inpatient settings. And so it was like a big breath. Mm -hmm. And I also got into working with couples at the counseling center. And I was like, Ooh, this is fun. (laughs) (laughs) I remember my supervisor giving me like some Gottman material. And so, um, you know, from there, the work I'd been doing on myself with sex and intimacy, and then kind of getting into couples work, I was like, Oh, this is fun. Yeah. And I just got like, so lit up about therapy again. I had almost been burnt out after wilderness therapy. I was like, I don't even know if I can be a therapist anymore. Um, and then I was like, well, what the heck else am I going to do? This is like so much of my identity. So I was really, really excited to find a realm that felt so good to work yeah. in. Yeah. If I can reflect like, you know, and knowing you for about 10 years, which it 
is so crazy to say. Um, but the last couple of years since making this huge shift, like I have seen you lit up in a, in a new way that I haven't seen in a long time or ever really. It's really, really cool. And so whatever you're doing, self-work, the work that you're doing with clients, like, damn, Allie, I'm so proud of you and so happy. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. So I was reading your website before we started the, the podcast and you touch on something called desire-based living. And that is something where I'm like, Ooh, I could get into that, but I don't know what it means. Tell me more. <laughs> yes. Okay. So um, desire-based living is, you know, I think the place where I could start is the opposite of desire-based living, which is like fear-based living or living from a place of anxiety or worry about what's going to happen. I think, you know, a general example could be like the idea that we live with almost like these, a lens of our past experience. So in, in fear-based living, we're like kind of just looking through these goggles of everything that's happened to us in the past, you know, oh, I tried dating and was, you know, had a terrible experience and was, and felt rejected. And, and so, you know, not going to date, <laughs> um, which is, you know, kind of like not thinking about what you really want. You're thinking about what you don't want. And so <clears throat> in the context of desire-based living, you know, if I were to ask that person, that same person, like, what do you want for yourself? What kind of relationship do you want? What do you, what do you crave? You know, for them to be like, well, I think I, I want like a fulfilling relationship where I can feel seen and where I can have like hot, passionate sex and like, you know, feel really comfortable in my body with my partner and like, feel like they support me to like have pleasure and they just were in it together, you know, whatever, whatever you want. Like that is a place of, that's a place to live from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like when you are doing this work, do you start with, with some of those fears and like heal from that place? How do you, how do you like take the first step? Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, have had a lot of training in trauma. Um, I'm an EMDR therapist. I have trauma myself. And so I have a very deep like body level understanding of the effects in, in, for me. And then I think, you know, just understanding that like our world, no matter what personally has happened to you, I mean, trauma is a subjective experience anyway. So it's not like it could be as small or as large as whatever, right? Yeah. But we also are inundated with stuff that makes our bodies tense up, that makes us feel stressed or anxious or scared. You know, anything we watch on television, like you watch a rape scene in a movie, your body is watching that, right? Like you're not, you're feeling that, you know? So I think we forget like how much we're just taking in on our bodies all the time. Yeah. I mentioned trauma because we have these, our bodies keep the score as Bessel van der Kuyk says. And so knowing, like starting from a place of like, where, where are you stuck emotionally? Where are you holding tension in your body? 
really working with people to understand beliefs that they've internalized from their experiences is like usually where I start with a lot of, a lot of like learning about the body and how to breathe and how to, yeah, a lot of people, you know, feel like they can't relax mm-hmm. and with reason. So I think that's usually where I, where I start. Um, depends on where people are at, you know, there's asking people what they want. Sometimes they're like, I don't know, you're the therapist. You tell me. <laughs> so. totally. It's really interesting hearing you talk. I'm like noticing in my own, in my body, like my own anxiety of a, or like even past experiences thinking about, you know, what are the things that maybe hold me back from always living a desire-based life? you know, like, what are the stories? What are the beliefs? And they feel really like, like, right, like close to the surface right now. Uh, Allie and I promise not to like therapize each other too hard on this. (laughs) So (laughs) we'll leave it there. (laughs) Instead of me being like, what are you feeling in your body right now? Like what's coming up? I'm like, thank you for sharing. (laughs) So one thing that kind of came up as we were talking before we pressed record is this idea that, you know, being someone who uh, leans towards the identity of outdoorsy is pretty far from feeling like connected to your desires. When I think about being outdoorsy and like thinking about this, like sort of like cool persona, I like reflect on my own experience of like was I meeting any of my own needs or desires in that experience? Or was I even in that point, like performing? The cool girl piece is like, where are we neglecting our needs? Right. And I, um, there's a great little quote that's like, there's two types of people in the world. Love quotes that start with that. Um, people who are high maintenance and people who pretend not to be. And so we all have needs. (laughs) We're humans. We all have needs. And so this cool girl, like persona that that we all probably have on some level, because we're told that like, it's cool and it makes us cool. And other people hang out with us and they're like, oh my God, like she's so easygoing and like, wow, so easy to be around. Like doesn't ever need anything. It's just down, like go with the flow. And so yeah, like that is so, we get so many accolades about that, yeah. right? The, like the tough girl too, like in wilderness therapy. Oh my goodness. Wow. You were in the field till 10 PM. Like you're amazing. Oh yeah. It was nothing. Like just oh. another day, another day at work. It's like, no, that's insane. It was like raining, freezing rain. And you were under a tarp doing therapy for like 10 hours. Like that's insane. And it's like, oh yeah, like I didn't even eat lunch, like crazy. (laughs) Like, no, that's awful. And you're neglecting your needs. And so I think, yeah, I mean, and, and to a certain extent, like being outdoorsy, kind of like, almost like you have to have a level of like being able to put your, distract yourself from whatever pain you might be having in your body. And I think just being really real with ourselves about you know, cause if you, if you're constantly in that persona outside of like hiking up a mountain when you might need to be for survival <laughs> or to get to the summit, um, if you're doing that in all parts of your life, 
right? Like at work, in your relationship, the cool girl in your relationship, right? I don't, I don't need anything like, oh, you're going, you're going down on me for this long. Like, I'm actually good. Like, let's just have sex. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Like the amount of time somebody asked me what I wanted and I couldn't tell them mm. in bed. So, and thinking to myself, like, oh, I don't need anything because that was actually what I believed. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of places this comes up. Yeah. You know, if we're speaking to a number of people who might have that cool girl default, what are some things that we can do to sort of start connecting with ourselves and like our own needs, you know, or even start to like bring awareness to it? I'm, my mind is going to an exercise that I do with people. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's called desire pulling, okay. um, which give credit to Amy and Ellie here. Um, so for you put a timer on for five minutes and you can do this with a trusted friend or in your journal, but really just writing out, like if I were to do it with you, I would ask you, what do you want? And you would say a back massage. And I would say, thank you. What do you want? And you would say to go snorkeling in Hawaii. And I would say, thank you. What do you want? <laughs> and you just, you do that for I mean, it would be great if you could do it for like 15 minutes, but maybe just start with five and play this out with a friend and see what comes up. Like we, our desires get like stuck because we're already telling ourselves that we can't have them. That's unreasonable for me to want that. Or I don't actually need it. Right. We come up with all these reasons why these rationalizations when like, yeah. So like, how could you possibly know what you want or what you need when you're not putting any attention or time into figuring it out? So I also like want to think about this work connected to body image um, and body image is a really complex subject. You know, it's not like, great, like we're going to connect to our desire and then like feel better in our bodies. <laughs> um, but I do feel that like desire, pleasure, connecting with ourselves in that way can potentially be healing for our body image. And I'm wondering, like, how do you feel like pleasure can make us feel more comfortable in our bodies? I love this question. I'm trying to figure out where to start because I think of what inhibits pleasure first, which can be a negative body image, Yeah, right? You're thinking about what your body looks like, smells like, what sounds it's making during sex. <laughs> and I don't know if I've mentioned this, but when I say sex, like I'm not just talking about like intercourse. I'm talking about, I mean, sex to me is like enjoying a good meal. <laughs> and if you're thinking about like, you know, I think of like people going on dates to like get like a burrito or something like what, like people think about like, oh, my first date shouldn't be eating this type of food because of what I'll look like when I'm eating it. Hmm. It's like, what? Like, what about the pleasure of that meal? That should be the first priority. (laughs) Not what you look like when you're eating a burrito. Um, So yeah, body image is inhibit, like negative body image is inhibiting to pleasure. And I think of um, Emily Nagoski's book, Come As You Are, which is like the Bible for present day, all of this stuff, 
I don't even know how to categorize it, but everyone should read it. Um, there is a, she has like this temp, uh, sexual temperament survey in there. And it's based on the dual control model um, that was Alfred Kinsey back in whatever this, I actually don't know, 60s maybe. Um, and it's the idea that we have a sexual inhibitory system and a sexual excitatory system. When you look at Cosmo, the, the cover of Cosmo is gonna have like 10 things you should try in bed to like, you know, jumpstart, turn on your sex life, whatever. It's like those 10 things are not gonna do anything for you if your inhibitors are in the way. So a metaphor I like to use with this is like the gas pedal and the brakes. Our sexual inhibitory system is our brakes. And those brakes can look like worrying that you're taking too long to orgasm. That's something that so gets in the way of so many people having pleasure. They're mm -hmm. like, taking me too long. It's never going to happen. It's like, yeah, that that's going to block you from having pleasure thinking about that. Um, and so in order to put the foot on the gas and actually move the car, <laughs> you have to get your feet off the brakes. And so that's something to really look at is like, where is, you know, I want to have pleasure. I want to be in my body. Like, where are you stuck in, you know, yeah, kind of like these negative thoughts about your body and that it, you know, that you take too long or that you aren't attractive enough to deserve pleasure, you know, whatever the thoughts are. Mm -hmm. And it's so wild because I really didn't even know this factoid until like two years ago or something that like on average, it takes vulva, vulvas, um, 20 minutes to orgasm. Whereas for people with penises, it takes on average four to six minutes to mm. orgasm. And so, yeah, it's like, how did we not, how did I not know that? <laughs> why was that getting in my way? Like, why is that not in sex ed? Um, totally. Yeah. If like women were just, or people with vulvas were just told, you know, like, Hey, it's probably going to take 20 minutes. So just like, don't stress just relax, get into it. It's going to take this long anyways. Like if, if we were just like, if we knew that, how nice would it be? Just be like, cool. It's going to take 20 minutes. Let's go. You know? Yeah. Like put on a timer for 20 minutes, have someone, you know, touch yourself, have someone else touch you for that long. And literally until you hear the timer, like, don't worry about it because you're quote normal when like actually like for some people even for myself sometimes it'll take me like a friggin' hour sure I had a self-pleasure session yesterday morning that was like two hours long <laughs> um so yeah I mean gosh we we and again like how much do you allow yourself to have that like where are you already being like that's insane I would never spend that much time touching myself yeah. Well, I think, you know, what comes up, what I'm really curious about, especially for those who might be listening and they're like, well, how do I get over my bad body? Like I can't, I'm always going to feel bad in my body. So like, how can I experience pleasure? Like, or like, how can I just feel better and like, not think about it? How does 
one start to heal their body image through things like that. You know, I'm hearing like this, like, yeah, it's going to be really hard to experience pleasure if all you're thinking about is like how you are looking. So how do we like get into our bodies and sort of like put that aside for like the moment? Beautiful segue. (laughs) So my mind goes to a classic sex therapy tool called Sensate Focus sensation focus, Mm -hmm. right? We can't not think about something. When you try to not think about body image, you're literally just thinking body image. (laughs) And so you have to change, you have to change your focus. And so focusing on the sensations in your skin is the number one, like sex therapy tool. We call it sensate focus. We give it, if I'm working with a couple, I usually start with individuals, right? Like here is your individual self-pleasure homework. And they're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And I explain that like, it's basically mindfulness, right? For your body. It's mindfulness for your pleasure. It's mindfulness to grow your capacity to have pleasure. And so again, like an assignment I would give is like, put a timer on for 20 minutes and just touch your body the way you would want a lover to touch you. You don't even have to touch your genitals. Just like touch your ankles, touch your skin. Like, you know, give yourself a little slap every so often. Mm -hmm. See what that feels like. You're exploring pleasure. What feels good to me? And as you're doing that, every time your mind wanders, to some judgmental thought about your body or whatever, or how long it's taking or how ridiculous this exercise is, just bring your attention and focus back to the sensations that you're feeling in your skin. It is very powerful, right? We we know all the research on mindfulness and how helpful it is for anxiety. Mm -hmm. So why would it not be helpful for this? Yeah. For increasing and just your ability to, to be in your body, to embody pleasure. Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm so curious because like, I'm like, great. Like we can just, you know, use these tools and like feel better in our bodies. Like, have you noticed a shift since doing this work from like feeling more present in an intimate or a like bedroom sex, sexy space? (laughs) to like outside like on like a daily life like I'm walking down the street and because I've done these these uh, exercises I feel better my growth has been exponential okay like I was numbed out I used to have pain in my clitoris like I couldn't even touch my clitoris because it hurt so bad Hmm. like I I literally didn't orgasm in sex until I don't like yeah so many levels of not being in my body. I was so numbed out and so avoidant of being with myself. I remember during grad school, like in like 2015, I was in a mindfulness like course and we had to like not talk for the whole day or whatever. And I was just like, what am I doing? Like, I hate this. I can't tolerate this. Like, this is so awful. Like, when is this going to be over? And to now where I'm like walking, you know, down the street and I'm like feeling the wind on my skin and I'm like, Ooh, that's precious. Mm. Yeah. It's been a 
it's been an evolution to say, to say the least. Um, it just came with a lot of practice and a lot of intention around wanting to feel better. Yeah. Knowing that I deserve pleasure, that everybody deserves pleasure. Mm-hmm. And that it's so hard for us to allow ourselves to have it because of so many reasons, but yeah, we're, we're really told that we, we can't. We also have like negative confirmation bias around like just, you know, we expect things to, I might like mess up here a bit actually, cause I'm not sure where I'm going with it, but um, the way that like we remember criticism yeah. more than we remember accolades right? Like when we, that is a biological reaction. Like it's built into us. We only used to live like 20 years, right? And now we live a hundred. And so all of these negative things that come up, like it's a survival mechanism to remember them. Remember the pain you felt in your body in that relationship. Remember what happened when you sought out pleasure as a child and your mom swatted your hand away, you know, like, I like babies masturbate. <laughs> they can't like babies can't like ejaculate or whatever until they've hit puberty, but kids are like so in love with their bodies. They're touching their bodies. They're like playing, they're feeling pleasure. And then we're literally like conditioned out of that. Yeah. And I'm just thinking of all of the ways that we have that kind of like negative confirmation bias throughout our lives and how hard it is to, we have to really intentionally bring pleasure into our lives because it's not even biologically something that's easy. Like it's something we have to bring intention to because it's not a natural function to remember the good things. So I have this kind of personal question and you can choose to answer it or you don't have to, but I have in the last couple of years, like really seen you go from being like Allie, like let's get rad, um, you know, do all these like epic things, like cool girl times a thousand to being now that, but also somebody who can like own her sensuality, who does these things like dresses up in like sexy clothing and like dances. <laughs> And like does like sensual movement classes, like these things that I look at you and I'm like, wow, that is incredible. And for me, 100% absolutely terrifying, full stop, like, fuck no, I would never do that. <laughs> Please tell me, like, how did you, how did you sort of start to like embracing feeling sexy? And that's like, I'm, I might be putting that on you. No, not at all. But like, I, I just see you being like, I'm sexy. And I like, that's something that I would love to be able to own more. And I, there's something that's blocking that for me. And so for, and probably lots of people. Right. And so I'm curious, how did you really start to go there? Yeah. Yeah. Again, my brain's going in a few different directions. Number one is because it feels good. Yeah. Because it feels good to feel sexy. Yeah. My God, it feels good. And I'm not saying I don't still feel insecure or whatever, 
Like there are so many people that are right there ready to shut you down, right? And ready to judge or ready to, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm having this memory come up of like my mother telling me to change my clothes, right? I had really big boobs when I was younger. Like I've always had big boobs. Got it from my grandmother <laughs> on my dad's side. Um, Grandma Goldie, oh my goodness. Um, she also wore those red cat eye sunglasses. I think I have a lot of her in me. <laughs> but um, yeah, my poor Catholic mother, you know, would just like the amount of body shame, hmm. right? Put that away, cover up. There's hair on your chin, shave it. I like your hair better blonde, whatever the heck she said. And all the other people in Orange County, California. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just constantly felt like my body was not good enough and not, not sexy. It was scary. My boobs were scary because that's how my mother reacted when I was a child. Like if I showed off my chest, like she was like horrified. Right. And that's your primary attachment. Like that was the messaging I got about my body. So the other direction my brain's going is like, I'm pissed. I am so freaking pissed and angry for all the people who feel like their body is horrifying. Like, are you kidding me? No, it's not. Sonia Renee Taylor says it best. Like my body is not an apology. I don't need to apologize for my body. And I'm so passionate about that. Mm -hmm. And so having an avenue where I can go and dance like with other women who were like in their bodies and showing off their stuff and feeling like sexy, like, oh, there's nothing more empowering than that. And where everybody is just making space for each other and like this love this love that I get from these experiences with other women that I, that I go to, I'm happy to talk more about that, but it's, it's, I've, I've, I feel so good and validated and whole. Yeah. That's really beautiful. I teared up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It's powerful to, to look at it from that perspective, you know, of like thinking about shame you know and how much shame is connected to all of this work and how do we like sort of like squeak past it or maybe not squeak past it but you know really sit with it but also move move past it with intention um and I want to call it courage because I don't really know how else to describe it but like seeing seeing some of the work you do would take, at least I'm sure it's taken courage for you. And I think for me to do something like that and lots of people listening, that it would be a really courageous big first step, you know, to like, let yourself be seen and like, let your body not be an apology and like really own it and feel it and honor it in that way. Yeah. I have a follow-up question. So for those of us who might be avoidant or scared, or not ready for this work, but are really interested, what would you tell all of us? I'm saying us because I am included in this work. So what would you say? Yeah. Number one, like find other people who are, who are doing it or interested because community is so important in this work, right? Like I just told you, like if I didn't have 
the community that I do to go like dance around in lingerie with, like this wouldn't have worked. Like it wouldn't have happened. I couldn't have done it alone. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta have other people supporting you, mm-hmm. whether it's like a sex therapist, a life coach, a, a community of women who are doing it and practicing a sensual dance class that you go to where you're showing up with other people. Um, I have a friend who is a part of a like trans affirming like text chain where they send nudes to each other and tell each other how hot their bodies are. Wow. Like something, something that like, you know, is with other people would be my number one recommendation because we can't do it alone. Um, yeah, I mean, books are helpful, right? Like all the books I just mentioned, bibliotherapy. Yeah, uh, we'll make sure to include that in our show notes. Another question, you know, because like I, yeah, like who knows? I can't, I can't predict the future. Maybe one day I'll be attending one of these retreats. And like, I actually, (laughs) I actually feel pretty mm, satisfied in my sexual relationship, although it does not look like that. Can you speak to that? Is like, is that okay? Oh my gosh. (laughs) You feel satisfied in your sexual relationship? I'm like screaming from the hilltops because that is so much, that's amazing. That's, that's what it's about is feeling satisfied, feeling pleasure. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care if you're like, you know, the kinkiest motherfucker in the world and you're just like you know like playing out you know scenes with like daddy daughter like whatever I don't know like that's what brings you pleasure like amazing if like having sex with your partner with the lights off and it's slow and sensual and you do that every time and you love it like oh my god like heck yes like anything anything that makes you feel pleasure that's what, that's what sex is about. It's all about seeking pleasure. Yeah. And that's what you have, then that's perfect. I can definitely see like, so like this on a spectrum of you've given us so many wonderful, like tools and interventions to try, you know, that are like (laughs) on one end, that's like definitely not like dancing with a whole bunch of other women and very little clothing. (laughs) And so there's like a spectrum I can totally see. And it seems like they're all really helpful in connecting what's connecting us to our bodies, which I'm like, just so thankful for, because I think, you know, and watching your work and watching you grow and also just like dabbling in interest, like seeing how, um, how this work can be really healing in the relationships with our bodies and how we communicate with it. So I just want to say thank you for coming on and, and sharing your knowledge and your wisdom. I um, have loved this so much. This was so fun. It's so fun to be doing this with you. It's so special. I can't believe how special it is. Yeah. Thank you, Kales. Thanks for inviting me. You bet. So Allie, like where can people, if they want to work with you, if they're like hearing this and they're like, Allie is my future therapist, where (laughs) should they go to find you? (laughs) Oh, my website. It's um, AllieBarnett.com. Awesome. Well, we will send everyone there and I will also link that. And I hope that a lot of people connect and get on that wait list and eventually work with you. And 
Um, if this interests you, please reach out. I can't wait to talk about this and see what comes from sharing this conversation. And Ali, I love you so much. And, and we'll talk soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Wilder Wellness Podcast. If you loved this episode, head on over to rate and subscribe. New episodes drop each week. I can't wait to catch up with you on and off of the trail. See you then.